0: I think, uh, in the process of doing what we've been doing together here on this retreat today, it's, it's not unusual for the occasional thought to arise and the occasional mind along the lines of, well, "What's this all about? What am I doing here?" And sometimes it's a sense of a genuine curiosity and wondering, what am I doing here, and other times it's more a sense of what am I doing here what?" on earth has led me to place myself in this circumstance, in this situation. And so, I'd like to speak a little bit about what we are doing here, and there are many ways one could one could do that, but one way we could, I think, very usefully understand the process of the practice that we're engaged in. As would be to understand it as the practice of not escaping, or the practice of no escape. When we come on a retreat, it's like we come to what might seem on arrival a rather idyllic place, perhaps an island paradise in our crazy materialistic world. And it's rather attractive, and uh, things are simple, and yet, for the most part, elegant and the grounds are rather delightful, we might think how nice to have arrived at such a place. And yet, it sometimes doesn't take that long before we start to look around, and it's like, yeah, it's an island, but what comes to mind is, you know, the story of Papillon and Devil's Island, or we think of Alcatraz Island, we think of, you know, somewhere we were imprisoned, and the sense of an island of somehow a removed, boundaried place, rather than being something to which we have escaped might easily start to feel like something from which we wish to escape. And this is a I think a very interesting and useful process to reflect upon, to look at and to see what goes on with us. Because I think what is revealed in the activity of our minds much of the time is a A sense of needing or wanting to escape somehow. Believing, first of all, that escape is possible. And yet we don't even consider that. It's just this idea that the way things are is something that isn't maybe how it should be. And somehow I have to get out of here to somewhere else. That sense of moving away from. And how much of our life, we might usefully ask, how much of our life is an attempt to escape from something? Usually, some other part of our life. Like we come, hmm, not quite yet to the end, but heading that way towards the end of the first day of the retreat. And there's sometimes a sense of, you know the, the reality sinks in it's like wow this is quite challenging it sounded really attractive in the brochure even when they described it at the beginning it seemed like this would be really quite pleasurable most of the time and you know i'd really enjoy being here in fact they didn't do anything too much to dissuade me from that um that idea at the beginning and and the the idea of the rom- you know the romantic image we have of a retreat if we've never done one of, oh how lovely, and sort of the idea of bliss and flower petals and whatever. Or, if we have done them before, the romantic memory of the previous ones, which somehow doesn't quite seem to have left us with the full picture of what it's like. There's a sense of, oh dear, oh dear, how many more days am I here? How much longer is this going to go on? And in that, there's this often not quite fully articulated but underlying sense of let me out of here. Oh, wow, out. This is not what I signed up for. Now of course that's not going on all the time. But there can be an element of that that runs through the experience of being on a retreat. And as a, a simple guideline, and I would say this is pretty reliable, Anything that happens or arises in your mind here is something that happens or arises in your mind in other places too. So if there's a sense here of, oh, maybe I'd really like to get out of here, that's something that goes on in other places in your life. And I don't imagine this is some startling, unfamiliar piece of news to most of you. We're probably aware of this to a certain degree and to look at, to reflect on this tendency to escape in our lives, what that looks like, how we seek for distraction, how we seek for entertainment, how we look to try and get comfortable. And why do we want to get comfortable? Often it's not just because we think it's going to feel better, but because when we're comfortable we can start to kind of go into that soft, cozy, snoozy, dull place of sleepiness or just, hmm, kind of pleasant, like that moment before one goes off to sleep. There's a certain attraction to that condition. Or, alternately, we're looking for excitement, stimulation, a sense of being really revved up. And yet, the experience doesn't necessarily present us with those two options of either some comfortable, cozy place to snooze or lots of entertaining, stimulating excitement. And certainly doesn't present them in the uh, order and proportion that we might wish. Sometimes we have them, sometimes they're available, sometimes they're not. And so this, of course, is also what goes on in the context of being on retreat. As we go through the sitting and the walking, as the periods of yoga and the times of other activities flow from one to another, we begin to notice this. Seeing this strong urge in the mind to generate fantasy, to get involved with planning, to start thinking about the past. What's that about? It's not a random event. It might seem kind of random in the way one turns up suddenly, you know, in a sort of darkest Peru on the back of a yak, wondering, you know, how did I get here? But somehow in our mind we made the journey. It's not a random event, however. Both there's a, a certain lawfulness to the way the mind associates and connects one thing to another, but equally there's a, an underlying momentum or urge or movement that we get carried by, which perhaps we're not fully or always conscious of. And likewise, when we get into the thinking, the analysing, you know, and figuring out something, getting, getting busy with something to do, because... Although it's not particularly unpleasant or difficult, what we're being asked to do, it just isn't quite stimulating or exciting enough, and the mind's looking for that. I used to sometimes find myself, on retreat, calculating how many minutes of meditation practice there were still to be done on the retreat, you know, adding them all up. And then if I was really ambitious, I'd start to try and do it for seconds. that probably goes beyond my mental mass capacity. And then I would start tracking back and seeing, well, how many have I done so far my last retreat or my last year or years or decades of practice? And it's like, wow. You know, at some point I'd come up with some great big number and feel really good. Then, huh? What was all that about? It's like the mind trying to entertain or stimulate or excite itself is another expression of that movement to escape from just the simple experience of this, whatever it might be, this experience right now. And we see ourselves interested in reading and you know it's remarkable how many times one can read the schedule. And it doesn't change. It's the same as the last time I read it, but I still want to read it and check that it's still the same. And it's really interesting when I read it, every time, despite the fact that actually, if you share it to one of your friends, they'd say, that doesn't look like such an interesting thing to read. But they haven't been on retreat. If they are on retreat, they would know, this is interesting. <coughs> and we... It's like this seeking for something that we can escape out of our experience into. And we can even practice the meditation itself in a really wholehearted and committed way where we're really dedicated to not looking at the schedule more than once or twice a day, to not getting lost in our stories, our analyzing or our fantasies and projections, but because we want to get really still and quiet and calm. Because when I'm really still and quiet and calm, that will be my escape. Then I will no longer have to experience this that I call my life, my mind, my heart, my body, and the conditions that impinge upon them moment after moment after moment after moment. So to look at this, we can sometimes even hear the language of transcendence when used in a certain way, it suggests we're escaping from, we're getting out of here going beyond and there are ways in which that kind of language can be used that's appropriate and skillful and there are ways in which that kind of language can be used to reinforce the sense that somehow the point of all of this is to get out of here, and yet it's not, the point of all of this is not to get out of here, the point of all this is to get into here Because actually most of the time, we're so busy trying to get out of here, we haven't actually fully experienced what it is to be here. To really inhabit, to really enter, to really abide in our life. And we don't actually know what that's like. Because for the most part, we're standing a little bit sort of back from it saying, "Mm, I don't know about that, something else looks more entertaining, something else looks like it's going to provide us what we're looking for. And so the sense of seeking freedom or spiritual practice could become, if we weren't careful, if we weren't looking to see what was happening, it could become a reinforcement of the idea that somehow we have to get away from all of this. That somehow being in the midst of all of this is not okay. is a really bad mistake and needs to be remedied. And yet, where else is there to be? To where else could we escape? What if this is it? this experience is your life right here right now what if there wasn't something else what if there wasn't somewhere else because there isn't where can you go that isn't this this mind this heart this body and yet not just this not just this this mind this heart this body To seek to escape from one situation or circumstance or experience or thing or condition, to seek to escape from one thing by pursuing another or trying to obtain another or arrive in another is a process that never ends. This was one of the key understandings that the Buddha came to in the beginning of his spiritual journey. And he said to himself, having realized that there was something a little strange about seeking to get away from one thing by pursuing another thing that was very much the same. He said, seeing this, why should I, being born and subject to aging and death, should I pursue other things which are also born and subject to aging and death? Recognizing that if one seeks an escape or a release or freedom in the midst of this or freedom from this, it cannot be provided by something else which is subject to the very same conditions and circumstances. There's an unsatisfactoriness. There's a an emptiness. There's a ultimately uh, an exhaustion and a depletion that comes by keeping trying to get something else or to get somewhere else. And if we see that this is what's going on, we perhaps begin to understand some of the way in which we can feel profoundly unnourished in our hearts. Because our hearts are nourished by connecting, by abiding, by touching and being touched. And this is something we can't really do when we're busy trying to get away from where we are. It's not possible for us when we're jumping out of our experience moment after moment. And we see the mind, how it jumps, how it moves, how it reacts. This is what becomes unavoidably clear as we practice. Whatever form we're practicing, and if we're looking, if we're interested, we can't help but begin to see this. And when we're not conscious, when we're not awake, when we're not really present to that process, life simply becomes a series of unconscious escape reactions. And you might kind of have the sense of that a little bit, you know, we have our busy lives, we've got this and all these things to get to do, and we think, ah, let me out of here. I'll go on a retreat. I have nothing to do. It'll be so nice. Calm and peaceful. We do meditation and yoga. It's a good place. Nice whole food wholesome you know, food and all that. And of course, a valid intention, a wonderful thing to do. I'm not knocking the idea at all. I mean it'd be a bit silly if I was, really. <laughs> doing myself out of a job. Um, but when we come like that, it's very easy then to arrive here and to feel like, oh, you know, having, having wished to step out of one thing into another, we arrive in the next thing and we start to think, well, how long before I can leave this? You know, who's had that thought already? It's only day one. Now, how long till the end of the retreat? My gosh, Wednesday, it's going to be good. I'm going to get back into those, you know, what is it? Pizza, newspapers, video, all my friends, telephone calls, email. You know, a day ago it was like, oh, I want to get out of all that stuff. Then pretty soon it starts to look really attractive. <laughs> what is it that's going on? What what happens in us that we forget so quickly? Well, you know that's that's uh, kind of on the larger scale, on a more moment-to-moment basis. We can see how we're you know maybe there's a, a sitting meditation period. we we're, we're really waiting for the bell. It's like. Oh wow, When's that bell going to ring? Things, it's going to be good when the bell rings. Cause right now it's not good, you know, this is not where I want to be. My knees hurt, my mind's all over the place, I can't stay awake, or when I can, then my mind just goes crazy with all these thoughts, and it's like all this going on, and the bell rings, and it's like, oh, hell oh, no, Phew. what is that? I can get out of this experience. I do what i say? saying, we've got to walk, we've got to walk, back and forth, and back and forth. Okay, are <laughs> nowhere, this is producing nothing, this is pointless, this is meaningless. I can't wait to get back to the next sitting. At least that's real meditation. At least my friends would be impressed if I told them I'd sit without moving for 35, 40, almost 45 minutes. But walking back and forth, my friends could see me now. They'd think I was crazy. In fact, maybe I am, you know. So all these thoughts come through us. And what one moment ago was the thing we escaped from, in the next moment becomes a thing we believe we could escape into. And we go round and round and round. We're sitting, you know, or lying in the hall and, and the sense of, there's the posture. And it's like, ah, oh, raising the arm, moving the leg, and it's like, ah, oh, it's good to really do this slowly, but it'd be nice when we get to the next one, you know, that'll be good. But when we get to the next one, it's just the same. It's just the same. We're also there thinking, if we keep going in that way, well, when do we get to the next one? And it's like this urge, this momentum. Well, just in this moment, well, you know, maybe the next breath will be better. But it won't. Sorry. <laughs> I can assure you, I've looked at thousands of them. The next one isn't actually any better. Sometimes it's different. In fact, mostly it is different. If you really look carefully, it's always different. But it's not any better. It's just another one. And if you're looking at it to somehow feed or fill that place that thinks that something's not okay here, or that something better could be found somewhere else, It won't do it. It can't do it. It's not got that capacity. So can we face that moment? Can we face that experience where we see the urge to pull away from, to step out of, to disconnect from where we are and go off in search of something better? To begin with, we mostly notice it after it's happened. It's kind of like, oh, look what happened. When that's happened, (laughs) not at all to judge or blame oneself, to be able to really see, oh, this is what happens. Of course, this is what happens. If we've let our mind do this for however many years or decades, it's going to keep doing it. It's not just going to stop because we suddenly decided it's not a good idea. Because actually we've recognized that it's deeply painful to be caught in that cyclic process. But to notice it and to say, oh, I don't actually need to buy into the idea that says this is a good idea, to keep doing this. I don't need to give support to that momentum, to that urge that says, get me out of here. I can actually give support to the possibility of staying present, of reconnecting, of becoming more and more established in the experience that's here even though at times it's not as entertaining, or exciting, or flattering, or comfortable, as I might wish. That shift is important. It's like where we stop seeking just entertainment or stimulation, and start becoming interested in understanding what is happening. Because this is our life that's running through, like sand, running through our very fingers. So far as we just keep jumping, running, moving, and always shifting away from really meeting our life, our experience, as it is right now, right here. It's like our life runs through our fingers. People often report on retreats that it, it feels like a lot longer day. It's not because it's a really long day, you know, like because it's that kind of long day part of what makes a day longer is that we're actually awake for more moments. And even though you might think that it seemed like not that many of those moments one was awake for, quite likely it was it's considerably more than usually the case. But because we're paying attention, we equally notice what a significant proportion of the moments we're just not here, out to lunch. So recognising that, but to not to not to judge or not to at all be hard or harsh on yourself for seeing that actually it's good news that you can see it that we have the capacity to recognize this process and come to understand what's driving it that capacity that we have that capacity is good news and is what enables it to transform is what enables the sense of entanglement with and the the bondage of always feeling we have to escape from to be released. So, seeing that at times our experience is difficult. Are we willing, or not entertaining enough, or not flattering enough? It's not producing something we'll be able to tell our friends about. Wow, that was really great. No? We kind of look for that sometimes in experience, the thing that'll make us feel good about ourselves. And yet it never really quite works, because it never lasts when we do that. Sometimes there's difficult emotions, difficult thoughts, sometimes physical discomfort or pain arises. When we come back to the breath, to be aware that One could do that as an escape from. And that's not the suggestion. It's like notice where you are. Let yourself touch it and be touched by the experience. And then reconnect with the breath. It's not like you're pushing something away in order to get present again. In order to be here, in order to be with the breath. Or in order to be in the body and in touch with it as you are practicing the yoga or in the walking meditation. You're not pushing something else away, you're recognizing where you are, letting yourself meet that experience, and then seeing from that place of meeting, it's possible to stay connected through turning towards the breath, turning towards the experience of the body in this moment, as revealed in the breathing, but equally through other experiences. Coming into that, as we do, again and again we begin to strengthen the capacity to be present and connected to not be pulled out again and again to be uprooted as it were from our life and as we settle more as we connect more it's like we begin to actually root into the experience begin to deepen a sense of connection and a sense of Solidity or substantiality in the experience of simply this moment, of what's here right now. The things that occur keep changing, keep moving, don't actually do it for us, aren't really in the end all that different from each other. In terms of their capacity to give us lasting satisfaction or to provide us some kind of secure escape, Desert Island Refuge, not Desert Island, uh, Paradise Island Refuge, that we might imagine. They're not that different in a certain way. This process of coming back in, of non-escape, of coming back, of seeing where we have the urge to escape and coming back, it's like we begin to root into our experience. Because if we're constantly trying to escape, it's exhausting. There's no rest in it. There's no peace. There's no ease. There's no joy. And there's no end. There's no end in it. If we could get away from anything, if we could get away from our experience, we would have done it by now. We would have perfected the means. We'd be really good at it. But mostly, actually, we're not able to do that. And although it can seem like maybe we can, because sometimes we are able to, adjust our circumstance. We can move away from things. Sure, it's too cold, I can put on a shawl. It's too hot, I can take off my sweater. Jumper. I always get confused about which country I'm in, f- referring to that. In New Zealand it's called a jersey, just in case you wonder, which is where I come from. Uh, but uh, here it's a jumper, isn't it? Yeah, okay, so I can take off my jumper. Um, And sure, you get the adjustment. Or we can turn up the heating or turn down the heating or open the window or close the window or open the curtains. All these things that we can adjust. We can adjust our posture, move my knee, change the cushion up a bit, down a bit. Sure, there's a place for doing that sometimes. But, or, you know, go to some other place. But although we can sometimes escape our circumstance, There are some circumstances we can't escape. And perhaps the most significant of those is our mind. We may escape what's going on around us, but the habit of our mind we can't escape from, because it's what's taking us into that process of escaping. We can't escape from our mind. What would it be that escaped from our mind? It's our mind trying to do it. You know, It's not going to work. It's pretty clear. So we look at the nature of what's going on in the mind to see, to understand it. As someone was saying in the small group today and very uh, clearly and wonderfully having some insight into the nature of anxiety, seeing that there's a certain way in which we might find anxiety to be really painful and unpleasant. I don't think anyone likes it. I've never met anyone who told me, I really like anxiety, it's a great thing. I could do with more of it in my life. But I also haven't met many people who said to me, well, I never experienced that. Most people know what that is, to experience anxiety. And we tend to think anxiety is because of the things that are a problem, that are scary or difficult or need sorting out. And so when we feel anxious about something, we try and figure out how to fix it. Or how to avoid it. Or how to solve it. And we may or may not be successful in that. But what this person reflected, and as I said, very uh, good insight, to see that there's a certain kind of looking for something to be anxious about. Even when there's nothing particularly that needs... Our ang- needs us to be ang- anxious about. All the things we were anxious about really aren't happening anymore in this moment. We start looking for something and it's like if there's a tendency to be anxious, it will find something to be anxious about. For sure. If there's a tendency towards anger, there's a tendency towards greed. If there's a tendency towards anything, it will find something. And so we can't resolve the tendency by trying to adjust the things it's reacting to. We've misunderstood what's happening if we think that the anxiety has arisen because there's something there that is threatening to me. Now, there are situations of course where there's an appropriate anxiety that arises. I'm standing on the road, there's a car coming towards me, and my mind and my body start saying, hey, get off the road! And there's a certain energy, it's not just like a casual, "Oh, well, I guess you could get off if you felt like it. It's like, get off the road! there's little narrow lanes around here, there's not a lot of room for a car to get past. And you kind of know, you need to move. When it's happening in relationship to the present moment experience that there's a response that we can make, it totally makes sense, it's a useful thing. It means I don't dawdle getting out of the way of the car. When it's happening in response to something that's not here, it's like, I'm imagining, well, maybe there'll be a car, but there isn't a car. This is a lot of what anxiety is like in our minds. It's like, well, What if a car comes? Well, when a car comes, I'll respond. But if I'm trying to respond and there's no car, it's just really painful. And it's not about a car. It's about anxiety. And with that, with fear, with anxiety, <laughs> really useful to notice how we tend to imagine Somehow, that we are in the situation that we're anxious about. But we're not. We're here, thinking about it, usually. If we're in the situation, it's not anxiety that we experience. We have to respond to it. Either we can or we can't. It's usually very different. And with it, to notice that fear and anxiety arise where you are, in the present moment. But they tend to pull us into a story about the future, about what might happen based on what did happen in the past, one way or another. And to actually sense and feel directly and immediately, oh, this experience is happening here. Can I meet it as it is? The resolution to that particular tendency or pattern, anxiety, and it's similar with many different afflictive and difficult emotions that we have to work with in our lives and in practice, is to actually turn towards it to begin to get to know what is this like as a felt experience right now, right here. How is my body? How is my heart? How is my mind? Responding to this experience. though so you might notice it's tight or it's hard or it's sort of butterflies or whatever it is. But when it's here, we can be with it. When it's immediate, we can actually respond to it. So learning to not escape does not mean we're somehow condemned to be oppressed by our experience. It's actually the key to discovering the release of the oppressive element within our lives. And that isn't in the experience itself. It's in our reaction to it. It's in what we're doing with it because we don't yet fully understand what's going on. We are incredibly sensitive beings. We are very easily impacted, impinged upon, in so many different ways. Now, an easy one to see is, you know, the range of temperature in which we feel comfortable is really quite small, given that, I think, as cold as it can get is about minus 270 degrees Celsius. And as hot as it gets, well I haven't found the top end, but it's hundreds and thousands of degrees. Celsius, And we are kind of comfortable between about, I don't know, 18 and 23. Is that it? You know, I'm not talking about the air temperature, I'm talking about the temperature we feel around us. And of course our core body temperature needs to stay at pretty close to 36, you know. Half a degree either way we can go, and a bit more than that, we're starting to feel unwell. And our core body temperature, like we're incredibly sensitive. or just, you know... We're sitting here and we we, we feel our bodies, we feel our hearts. We can be touched by so many things. This is part of what it means to be human. We cannot escape from this. The escape that happens is a numbing and a dulling and a disconnecting. And it's more deeply and profoundly painful than the discomfort of having our sensitivity impinged upon. So part of what happens here is we start to become more sensitive. We're starting to tune in to our experience more directly. By not escaping it, we're actually beginning to rinse the incrustations the off the organ of our sensitivity, which is consciousness. It's not just the sense... Equipment that registers stimulation like eyes and ears and nose and tongue and body. But it's the consciousness that receives the impression that for the most part is being bombarded by so much at such a high level of intensity that it just kind of, in self-defense, desensitizes. And so here it's really simple. It's quite slow. There's not, hopefully, too much going on. So we can begin to actually feel safe to feel, to touch, to be touched, to not have to escape from our life. Because there isn't anywhere else to go. So are we willing to stay steady for perhaps just a few moments on occasion? With the conditions that aren't easy for us. With the body that maybe isn't comfortable. Not saying that one has to endure beyond what feels useful. But nonetheless, not just pulling away. Because it's easier to pull away at one level than to stay steady with an itch or a tickle. Now, you know, when it comes to pain in the knee or something in the back where we maybe had an injury. We have to be a little careful that we're not putting too much pressure on our body. We don't want to cause an injury. But I don't know anybody who ever got harmed by an itch that they didn't scratch. No one's ever reported this to me. I've never seen it written up in the medical journals. You know, person severely injured by unscratched itch. <laughs> but notice how strong the urge is to scratch it. To get rid of it, to not experience this that is uncomfortable. See if you can turn towards such an experience if it should arise. And really feel it, really get to know what it's like. To just be with this, knowing there's no danger. There's no danger. And it's fine if at some point you scratch it. But that urge to just straight away relieve this itch or you know, adjust my way out of whatever's uncomfortable, move my shoulder it perpetuates this disconnection. Because we haven't really touched the experience that we're trying to change. We've stayed distant from it. And the distance from our experience, the sense of separateness or distance is actually the deeper dimension of the suffering and the dissatisfaction that when unexamined drives that cyclic process of escape and pursuit that never ends. So to be with our experience, to open to what is happening. What that requires is to begin to trust that we can do this that we have this capacity. Because often the thought is, I can't. It's not possible for me. It's too much. It's too hard. What if it goes on and on and on and on and on? And the fear easily kicks in saying, I I can't. But there is no experience that continues forever. All experiences change. If we look, we'll see this for ourselves. And often it's the thought of continuity, that conception in the mind of something continuing and sustaining in time that makes it so difficult, that this discomfort that is present in the moment, yes, I could be with it for this moment. It's the thought that, but I can't be with it for the rest of the sitting meditation period. It's another 20 minutes. I can't be with it for 20 minutes. I can't be with it for the rest of this retreat. Oh my God, what if I have to be with it for the rest of my life? That's impossible. You're right, it's not possible. But fortunately, you don't have to do that. You only ever have to be with it in this moment. It only ever shows up in this moment. And this moment is only ever that long. Just, boom, now. And then it's gone. It's the thinking about it that creates the appearance of that extension in time. And the, therefore, undoable endurance that we seem to be subjected to by the presence of the difficult experience. Try it. See. When something difficult arises, ask yourself, can I be with it in this moment? Don't ask yourself, can I be with it for the rest of the day, or even the next five minutes? Can I be with it in this moment? If the answer is yes, good, be with it. If the answer is no, fine. listen to that. Maybe you need to change your posture, or maybe you need to make a response. or maybe it's one of those things which you have no choice about. And then what are we going to do when we say, I can't be with this? In fact, at some level, we are already experiencing it. The question is, can we open to that? Or are we going to turn away from it? As we begin to practice not withdrawing, not turning away, not disconnecting from our experience, the capacity we have to meet and to hold and to be touched by it deepens. As the the consciousness and the care we bring to our experience starts to It's like it starts to become moistened by our attention. It's like the, the territory of our life, of our heart, of our being, becomes arid, becomes dry, becomes dense and compacted because we haven't really been cultivating it. been running around on top of it, but we haven't really been in there. And like this time of year, perhaps for someone's mind turns to gardening, it's like it's a very direct and simple metaphor there what allows things to grow is that theres space that there's moisture that the the earth is broken up that there's some moisture added to it and some warmth. What is that for us? It's a sense of the warmth it's, it's the quality of caring that we bring that we that we genuinely have an interest in the well-being of our life and uh, this is not something you have to manufacture. It's, it's there for you. You wouldn't be here otherwise. And the, and the coming back again and again into the experience, it's like that brings the moisture, and it allows the soil to become aerated. So we start to get to know what's in here. It's like we're turning it over, rather than trying to sort of damp it down with something heavy. Can we give ourselves a few moments to really be where we are before we start looking to go somewhere else? Can we let ourselves really land? Let ourselves rest? It's not to say that there isn't something useful in that looking to see where to go from here. But for the most part, it comes as a reaction driven by the sense of get me out of here. And therefore it doesn't really work. But the sense of looking to to see what else is possible. It has its place, but it needs to be grounded. We need to land before we can really access that skillfully. And it's like, I had this lovely experience. Um, it was a couple of years ago, I was teaching a retreat in New Zealand, in fact, and um, there's a very beautiful bird in New Zealand called the fantail, which uh, I think, I'm not sure if it's unique, but anyway, it has a, its tail opens like a fan. So it 's like having a third wing, basically, but it just opens like a fan and it enables it to maneuver with incredible intricacy when pursuing insects in the air as it does and it 's a sort of very uh I guess emblematic bird for New Zealanders, uh, probably after the Kiwi, one of the most sort of ones we would identify with. Um, but this fantail flew into the meditation. Sorry, that was all an aside. Um, the fantail flew into the uh, uh, flew into the meditation hall through a small gap between um, in the window, and probably didn't even realise what had happened because it flew in, and this meditation hall had these lovely big glass windows all around. And at first, clearly, it was didn't know what had happened and just flew straight across, there and bang, hit the other wall. At which point, we all realised there's a bird in here, it was like, and it was probably almost as high as this room, so we couldn't really do much to help it. It was up there, and it flew again, back of the room, bang! And, and again, you sort of feel, oh wow, that must hurt. You know? But then it stopped. After doing this two or three times, it perched on, a, I think it must have been the light fitting. and It obviously took a few moments to work out what was going on. And then it very slowly flew up to the window, which it couldn't see, obviously, or not very well, and then sort of hovered around it, flitted out and away. And it was like, gosh, isn't that what I do? Isn't that what we do? We kind of don't quite know where we are. If you go head on, get me out of here, bang. What happened? I'll try it again. Bang. What happened? If we can stop and see, oh, this is where I am. This is what's going on. Ah. Then we start to see what's needed. Then we start to see what's possible. And it's like it seems like we're surrounded by and perhaps... Caught up in this apparent entanglement with experience that we seek for some resolution or some transformation. Or perhaps we might talk of transcendence if we understand what that might mean. That it's not about leaving or departing or disconnecting. But it's about seeing that there's not there's all this and not just this. It's like someone, you know, said to you, Well, so was the meditation hall empty today at the Dharma talk? You know, most people would look around and say, well, actually, it seemed pretty full to me, not a lot of spaces. And it's true. In fact, some people, you know, find themselves in the hall, and there's the sense of, God, you know, it's sort of like we're a crowd. There's no space in here for me. Or the dining room at lunchtime. It's sort of, all these people in there. At least they're not talking. But, you know, it'd be really noisy if they were talking. But still, it feels kind of crowded. But we don't notice that if we look in this room, if we look up, actually, three-quarters of the room is completely empty. but it's not what we focus on. In order to see what's here, we have to let ourselves arrive here. Really connect and learn to not be so carried by our reactions to what's here, carried into trying to escape one thing or pursue another. And from that place, as we begin to establish that foundation, that connection, we can start to look, we can start to see what the Buddha spoke of as deliverance, which could be understood as escape, but not born out of escaping. A deliverance in which the unsatisfactoriness, in which the sense of being bound by experience can be transformed. In which the sense of being limited by or confined by our life can actually unfold, can open up into understanding the boundlessness of life and participating in that boundlessness from a place of care and interest, from a place of respecting the preciousness of what it means to be alive. And so, my invitation and encouragement to you is to continue to do this that we've been doing. I know it's not easy. Even when one has done it a lot, it's still not easy sometimes. But it's actually really precious and powerful and important. to discover what we can discover as human beings. We need to be here, wholeheartedly and unconditionally. And in being here, we can come to understand what it is to be. And to be is to not be defined by anything that's going on, and yet not to be apart from it either but simply to be. So let's just sit quietly for a few moments, please. Thank you for listening.